Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? This weekend, a bunch of natives or inhabitants, also known as Hoosiers, from the the overranked state of, of Indiana, I think they 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 intentionally present importance in the in the hierarchy of the union, right? Indiana, uh, they come and they they complain of the size of Nipper Stadium. You know, oh, forty thousand people. That's not going to be intimidating. Just know that our average attendance is higher than the Hoosiers Memorial Stadium, even I seat 60,000 uh, 60, people. Not worried about intimidating. All I know is you went back to wherever you're from in Indiana to that hellhole with a loss, with being thoroughly educated on how hard it is to play in Nipper Stadium causing false starts, causing this disjointedness, just, just crazy, not knowing where you're at. For the second year in a row, it is a good goddamn day to be a Bearcat fan if you play the Indiana Hoosiers. An excellent start to the podcast, Hummer. And honestly, the fact that heading into this matchup, there's a, a, a coalition, a segment of the Indiana University fan base that thought it was acceptable to gripe or belittle or dismiss Nippert Stadium only lends more credence to the idea that nobody in Bloomington is paying attention to the Indiana football team. We saw it last season when the Bearcats went to their house, Indiana University Memorial Stadium, a, an ambiance and a stadium that left, left nary an impact on anyone's mind from the University of Cincinnati who went there to attend said football game. It was a completely uninspiring performance from their fan base. Scattered fans, a smattering of fans throughout the stadium, half-heartedly cheering a team that stood very little chance to impede the legendary 2021 Cincinnati Bearcats football team. To then, to, to, to have seen that played out just a year ago, and to follow it up by griping about the size of our stadium and dismissing it, they deserved what they got. They deserved that the first half of that Cincinnati Bearcats thrashing of the Indiana Hoosiers. A 45-24 victory could have been much, much worse, and we'll get into that. But I think we should start, Hummer, with the dynamic first half from the Cincinnati Bearcats, led by Ben Bryant and Tyler Scott, who combined, uh, who 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 connected on three touchdowns between the two of them, Ben Bryant actually going for four touchdowns in that first half with only four incompletions. It was a remarkable, a high flying an explosive, a, a incandescent performance in that first half of the Cincinnati Bearcats. Inspiring is, is the word I, you know, I saw a lot of people, you know, in the Twitter scape, or maybe just my text messages blown off about where was, where was this against Arkansas? Because their performance like that in the first half is it puts you over the top. He is hitting these wide open receivers downfield in stride, give them opportunities to catch the ball. You know what I mean, Ben Bryant was just absolutely lights out. Uh, incredible. It was probably one of the most fun 
first halves of football from the Bearcats that I think I may have ever have watched. It was, there was good defense all around. There was great offense, you know, playmakers. You also saw, I mean, Corey Kiner didn't have the, the greatest of games from a, from a production standpoint, but the man was blocking like crazy on a lot of those plays, helping give Bryant that extra moment that he needs to be able to get the ball. There was one, the really good one with the, I think it was the third, third Tyler Scott touch or maybe the second one, you know, where he just has a monster block on, on an incoming rusher and just completely, you know, without, without that block, that play doesn't happen. That, that touchdown doesn't happen. So I thought it was so fun, so fun to watch. It was, it was one of the most enjoyable halves of football I've seen as a Cincinnati Bearcats football fan. And, and you nailed it in that the style of play the Bearcats are bringing to the table right now offensively ever since that first half against Arkansas is inspiring. It's, it's aggressive. It's explosive. They're, they're sending these speedy, uh, unguardable receivers and Tyler Scott and Trey Tucker downfield and Ben Bryant has been hitting them. And I don't think it was unfair for us to have the conversation these past two weeks about Bryant's upside. I don't think it was unfair after the Arkansas performance to say, Hey, which, which half is real? Is it first half missing wide open players? Um, you know, interceptions, carelessness, just an inability to, to hit a receiver downfield, or is it the second half Ben Bryant that's now hitting some receivers in stride and, mounting a comeback against a top 20 Arkansas team on the road in a raucous environment, which one of these guys is going to be real for the Bearcats. When you play the likes of Kennesaw state or the Miami Red Hawks, I do not respect those teams enough to say that everything's fixed because Ben Bryant is playing well against those teams. We are to the point as a football program that the talent on this team will overwhelm the likes of the Miami Red Hawks. It will overwhelm the likes of Kennesaw state no matter how well or bad we're playing, we are going to overwhelm and dominate those teams. Against Indiana, it's a little bit of a different story. Do I respect Indiana immensely? No, I don't. I, it's not a football team I'm scared of. However, it is a Big Ten team. It is. A I think I different... pointed out that this. This I didn't when we went through the schedule. Sorry to interrupt you. Just to give like some credit here to your lack of caring about Indiana, I didn't even include them as a tough game left on the schedule. Like <laughs> they were below East Carolina. Below East Carolina, exactly. They were below East Carolina. And so, but it is a different type of measuring stick. I will give them the, at least the Big Ten stamp of approval. In terms of perception, blowing out and competing against a Big Ten team from a national media perspective is a better measuring stick. And it's a better measuring stick for Ben Bryant. It's the best opponent and the best roster talent we would have faced since Arkansas. And after that first half, I think it's, I think it's completely fair to say that the first half Ben Bryant against Arkansas is the aberration. That was the version of Ben Bryant that we would not see as often as the season goes along. And if we continue to see anything close to what we saw in the first half, I mean, obviously that was sort of an out of body experience for Bryant, for Scott, for the offense. It's not always going to be that good as evidenced by the second half of this very same game. But if we're getting that type of Ben Bryant on a pretty consistent basis, game in, game out, then we are in store for very exciting football and explosive football. And I think that there are other takeaways from this game that we'll get into um, that will help us be more consistent and put more complete games together as the season progresses. Well, 
let me let me give you some of my my takeaways from from the first half. Some of the what I think was best of the best of the first half. First off, who was the female announcer on ESPN? I don't I don't know who it was. All I know is she she liked to say yards. Like that was a seventy five yard score, and I was like, man, you got some some crazy twang coming out of there for wherever that yards. Uh, she must have a pretty big backyard. Um, but either way, she calls you know the 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 Scott seventy five yard touchdown score. The following kickoff is sailing out of bounds. There's a fan in the back of the end zone catches. <laughs> Catches, catches the kickoff much better than the opening kickoff at Maryland. If anybody watched that game, ball hits right off the face mask of the Maryland receiver, allowing Michigan an easy, easy 10 yard score. Um, that was my play of the game. That's my big takeaway is that that fan, phenomenal catch. I'm going to applaud you, you know, get, give you the call out. If someone knows your name, shoot it to us. I'll have you on. I want about that out of body experience you have catching that football because you think you were going nuts can can you um, give you a homework assignment of finding a way to track down record screenshot and share that video because i think it does deserve special recognition oh yeah definitely can definitely can do that um and then let's help help find this guy no the the big takeaways though you you hit it there brian just so sharp man he was dropping passes in and it was it was like night and day if you're taking away that from the first half, the takeaway from the second half was where did Ben Bryant go? Was he injured? Was he, you know, just feeling himself a little too much? You know, because some of the, some of those past, I noticed he was putting a little more zing on him in the second half, almost like trying to do too much. Uh, you know, some of the balls would slip, you know, end up being slipping, coming high or being thrown into the ground, frankly. Um, so I'm curious, you know, where, where the, what the mindset was in that second half, because really the defense, you know, for as much as we say, this is the tale of two halves. I still look at this as saying, this is a pretty complete football game. In my opinion, offense put up points and the defense did their job by not a lot, by keeping, keeping the score low. Right. Like he threw four touchdown passes. We would be happy with that line if it was spread out over four quarters. For sure. We did it too. Sure. Right. Well, when you have a 38 10 lead, it's tough to top, but we did get outscored in that second half. And Ben Bryant was more inconsistent. We saw, I think that he throws an incredible deep ball. I think that we have enough evidence at this point to say that if you give him time in the pocket with these specific receivers, these weapons and how fast and quick they are and open they are downfield. And and also factoring in the guy who's calling plays, Gino Gadouli, I think that the combination leads to sex when it comes to deep balls. I think it is hot, sweaty, uh, and pornographic. What we're seeing on TV in terms of this Bearcats deep attack is special, and that's where Ben Bryant thrives. When you shorten it, and when it's coming into that short, when when i was losing it i'm doing my best to try to find a way to be like you know like this is the ben bryant balls deep you know version eight with gino godouli as director right ben balls deep bryant like that's that's what we've got going on right now that's our offense but it does he doesn't have as good touch on short balls he is a little more inconsistent on intermediate um but that that deep attack is where we thrive. And I think what we saw in the second half was 
a philosophical shift to being a more conservative offense. And we were trying to protect a 38-10 lead, and we were trying to play an offense that would take less risks, that would put us in position to sort of run out the clock, call it in, go home, and, and, and let's all be happy. And I think it led to stagnation. It led to lots of three and outs, lots of uh, poor drives. And what we take away from that is not that all is lost and it's not a reason to panic. It's a reason for Luke Fickle, Gino Gadouli, and everyone to put their heads together and say, our method of football, our method of preserving leads after we grow the lead is to continue attacking opposing defenses ruthlessly. We cannot let up and try and run the ball as if we've got Jerome Ford or Michael Warren or Jared Dokes. Like we need to, we're not a ground and pound team. We are a team that defends by attacking and we need to attack again and again and again with Tucker, with Scott, with Wiley, with Taylor. There's too many weapons not to. And I feel like the takeaway for me is that even with a big lead, don't pack it in, don't turtle up, keep attacking downfield. So I, I don't really, I mean, I guess I, I agree with what you're saying. Like, you know, from the philosophical, the strategic standpoint, but I don't think that's what the cats did in this game. I think they did. They did continue to throw the ball. They, they did mix in a balance of the run and the pass attack. The, the issue was we weren't completing the passes. Their first seven passes, the second half went for incompletions, I believe uh, from Ben Bryant. It took, you know, compare that to the first half, you know, he, I don't even know if he had maybe two incompletions in the, in the first half. So I definitely think they were continuing to attack. It was just, you know, a lot of incomplete passes and, and to Brian's credit, a few of those passes that led to the stalled drives, there were some, there was a couple drops in there where he, I think he had thrown some dimes. Um, I think it was, it might've been Charles McClellan who had like, it was probably like, would have been about a 35 yard pass wide open. I mean, it, it had a tutty written all over right through his hands. Uh, as he looked like, you know, he saw kind of the, the safety coming from across the field. He drops the ball. So, uh, I'm just trying to give Brian a little more credit than what, what I think he, I think he deserves a little more in the second half because there were some errors like that, where it's just, yeah, it's not perfect, but. Uh, well, I th- no, you're making valid points. And I went back and I've, I'm pulling up the, the game script here to remind myself of what was, what was going on there in the second half. The first possession of the, of the, of the half gets thwarted by an interception that was an inaccurate pass by Bryant. Um, who was he targeting on that, on that specific pass? I can't remember off the top of my head who he was targeting, but it was high. Receiver wasn't I able to make it play. Was, I believe it was Leonard. I think it was Taylor. Leonard um, Taylor. He threw, okay. he, threw it, he threw it a little high. Receiver t- had his hands on it, kind of, and it bounced off and, and led to the, the deflection of the interception. Gets picked. And, and then you do see like the, the next possession. Indiana scores a touchdown, cuts to 38-17. Oh, everyone watch out. Um, we come back, and we, do, we throw three consecutive passes after a false start. So you see passing complete to Tyler Scott, passing complete to Trey Tucker, passing complete to Josh Wiley. That doesn't mean they're all necessarily downfield throws. It's just saying that we are still airing it out. We are still leaning on Bryant, and we weren't necessarily hitting. Um, so I think it's a valid point you're making. We don't really know at this point how significant of a role the injury was playing in terms of Bryant's inaccuracy in the second half. 
I just think that the, the more philosophical point I'm making about this team is the aggression has to be turned up to 10 at all times for the offense to truly thrive. Because I don't think that Ben Bryant can cook like Des Ritter cooked on that short to intermediary game. I don't think he has that same skill set, but I do think that the explosive plays are where he can live and, and make a name for himself on this team. And that's why you're seeing such, you know, absurd yardage totals. Like the, the yardage totals that Brian's putting in game in game in game out are driven by the fact that he is someone who wants to get big chunks through explosive plays, splash plays, game in game out. Like that's where he's going to make his living. Now, without having the numbers in front of me, um, and I've done this already once tonight, if anybody wants to actually call me out on it, I don't know what the average attendance stats are for Cincinnati versus Indiana. And I don't know what the intermediate to short range completion percentage was for Ritter. And I don't know what it is for Bryant. But in my mind, I, I, I actually think that's kind of where Bryant lives a little more is in some of those short to intermediate passes. because We're running a lot of uh, kind of screen type of, of passes that, you know, we're where the receivers are able to get downfield and, and kind of run downhill in that sense. We're also, we are running the deep passes, the ones that get, um, you know, they get the big, the sexy, the sexy passes. Um, but yeah, I think the one of the big things too, though, is opposing defenses do have the safety of knowing that Ben Bryant is not the fastest of runners. So it is more of a, a more of it's a two dimensional team as opposed to three. Right. You know, we have great rushers in McClellan and, and Kiner. We have, you know, some of the fastest receivers in the game. We have a quarterback with a big arm, but they don't have to worry about him for the most part leading with his legs and, and being a dynamic game changer with, with his speed, uh, which allows them to, to be able to play. It's a little different than what you've had to against us in the past. Overall, I'm going to get probably get skewered for this. I like the look of this offense much better than last year's. And I don't know if it's because of Ben Bryant or if it's more because of our offensive coordinator has a PhD in football and not a PhD from clown school. It's a perfect segue into talking about what we're seeing from Gino Gadulli, his offense, his philosophical attack, and what we saw the last couple of seasons with Denbrock. It was popular. It was trendy on Twitter to roast Mike Dembrock the past couple of years for lack of creativity, for not necessarily getting the most out of a team that that we should have. And it, a we lot were, of people, we were one job away from winning a college football playoff game. If he goes to Vanderbilt, if he takes that <laughs> Vanderbilt job, we win. <laughs> that might be a bit of a stretch. That the, we might be making two or three too many assumptions in that case, but it there were people that would always push back on that to say, well, look at the points per game this offense is putting up. Look at the stats from from Pierce and from Ritter, and you've got these historical offensive performances coming from this team. And for folks like you and me and, and many others, we were not alone in our skepticism of Mike Denbrock you could just see that like, guys, this it's not as easy as it should be for Des. like too often. Think about last season. How often do you remember Des having to throw into an extremely tight window to Alec Pierce and Alec Pierce had to do, you know, pull a rabbit out of his hat via his physicality, his ability to get in the air, his speed and just win jump balls. 
we had to rely on special otherworldly plays from great players way more often than you should. And the difference for me this season, without being a football savant, without being any sort of, you know, football guy who can talk about this in an X's and O's way is that when I watch the Bearcats this season, and this goes for every single game, Arkansas, Kennesaw, Miami, Indiana, every single game, Gino is scheming open players so that Ben Bryant has to make layup throws. Deep, short, intermediary. These are wide open players with huge windows for him to throw into. And mistakes aren't catastrophic. And there's room for him to, for, there's just room for him to miss. You know, these aren't, he's not having to rely on Tyler Scott making extremely contested throws or Tucker making contested throws. Instead, the scheme is getting these guys open. And I think a, a, a sign of a good coach and a good philosophy and good execution is you shouldn't have to lean on your quarterback to make, you know, to, to make Pat Mahomes type plays every single possession. Your scheme, your approach, your play calling should be making these things easy for your players. And that's what's happening this year. That's not a dig at Bryant. He's executing the game plan well. He's been very good for a majority of the season. It's a, it's a credit to what Gino Gadulli has done so far. Yeah, I mean, the, the other big difference, too, is it looks like you actually have to understand you know, advanced elements of football to execute Gino Gadulli's scheme. Mike Dembrock's scheme literally looks like it could be run at the peewee level. Uh, you know, power formation. Let's just, you know, run run the gut. You know, just, just there seems to be a little more, what's the right way? A little more intelligence behind, behind this. There seems to be a little more strategy behind it. And, you know, thank God. Thank God. Yeah, thank God indeed. Um, it's, it's refreshing. It's probably something that Luke Fickle should have moved on sooner. Um, again, it's like a, if it ain't broke, don't fix it type thing. And in 2020, the Bearcats had a very good season and it's one that ended by losing a nail biter to Georgia, a game that we very much should have won. And in that situation, like you said, Denbrock in the off season is being considered for jobs. We might be, you know, a, a fortuitous decision away from having Gadouli as our offensive coordinator last year and seeing an easier, more fluid, more effortless offense. Instead, Luke lets him stay on for one more season, even though it's very clear Denbrock's not in this for the long haul. I never got the vibe from Denbrock that he's here uh, in, in he's sort of committed to the to what's going on here in Clifton. This guy was always he, looking for that next he job. Had on his LinkedIn profile picture, it said open to networking, you know, which is, which everybody knows if you put that at a LinkedIn profile picture, it means I'm looking for a new job. <laughs> <laughs> if you yeah. have that on your LinkedIn, I apologize, but yeah, we all know what that means. You're not fooling anybody. <laughs> Speaking of offensive coordinators, can we have a quick tangent? Can we, can we go down a, a different path here for a moment? I, we're watching NFL football today, and I see this viral clip of Ken Dorsey throwing what appears to be the equivalent of what my five-year-old does when playtime's over with his sister or she wants to move on and like start reading instead of 
you know, pretending that Spider-Man's kicking Batman in the balls for the 10th consecutive time. Did you see this tantrum from Ken Dorsey? What was what was your reaction to what the Buffalo Bills offensive coordinator was doing at the end of this football game? Look, if I had a 10 year old son, do I want to point to him and say, look, this is the example of great behavior? No. But as an adult who doesn't have a 10 year old son or a child old enough to see this anyway, I'm here for it. The guy's just being passionate. The guy is paid, I'm assuming, millions of dollars to care about football. And he's angry. He's upset. He's at least not destroying property. He didn't break a window. He didn't throw a chair through it. You know? he, was, he was lightweight destroying property. He was picking up papers and tablets and God knows what else and slamming it down on the desk for out of frustration. Look, you can't have someone that important to your franchise in an offensive coordinator type position acting like that in a moment in a, in a regular season game in week three against the Miami Dolphins, a game in which is being played in Miami with ridiculous heat, right? Like it's, the players are worn down. Buffalo looks absolutely gassed. Sure, it doesn't work out. They didn't execute the way you wanted it to. They ran out of time. To react like that, to me, is enough to say, I'm ruling out the Buffalo Bills for the Super Bowl. You can't win the Super Bowl with a guy who acts like that in, in your offensive coordinator position. Leadership acting like that in the most critical moments is a huge red flag to me. And so you've heard of your first. Fade the Buffalo Bills Super Bowl chances. Uh. I'm trying to like in my mind right now, like how can I take advantage of this and somehow get the Buffalo bills, you know, like from Coomer, the Buffalo bills are loaded. They're going to win a lot of games and they're probably going to win a couple of playoff games too. I'm just saying that when it comes down to it, I've seen enough. Anybody with leadership acting like that at the most critical moments, high leverage moments, you can't win. You can't win. To be fair, to be fair, it was after the critical moment. (laughs) <laughs> fair enough it wasn't it wasn't like he was melting down it's third down we just do an incompletion god damn you know it was you know, time has expired you know, time expire <laughs> out of uh i just wanted to make mention of it we're talking about offensive coordinators we're talking about the rise of gino gadulli and maybe he's the next um you know local college football star to go on to amazing things in the NFL. Cause that's exactly what Ken Dorsey did. And, and honestly, the careers are a little comparable. Ken Dorsey, obviously a national champion, but a guy who is, was the face and quarterback of an extremely successful p- football program at its pinnacle. He wasn't the reason he was low. He was surrounded by incredible NFL hall of fame talent. And he went on to, to become a really good offensive coordinator. Maybe Gadulli has got the same, the same future ahead. Um, Based on what I've seen, there's a dramatic difference in terms of how he attacks uh, an opposing defense, how aggressive he is, and the fact that he's making his life easier for his quarterback. I do not think Denbrock made life easier for Des Ritter. And um, yeah, I think it's worth mentioning. It's definitely worth pointing out. What do you think about the counter that, hey, guys, didn't we find out that Gino was calling plays all of last season? And so is it really that big of a change? What do you what do you say to that? I say you could be calling the plays. Or is he the one who's designing them? Is he the one who sets the tone for what the actual strategy is going to be? You know, like what what are those meetings like before you get to the game and you're setting up, 
you know, a game plan. Cause at the end of the day, you might be calling plays. It doesn't make you the leader of the offense. Right. If I ask you to make a great sandwich for lunch and I'm the one who gives you the ingredients and those ingredients are stale bread, um, bologna and some, you know, expired mayonnaise. Does mayonnaise expire? I think it does probably does. But if those are the ingredients I give you and you make me a shitty sandwich, um, is it your fault or is it my fault for giving you the shitty ingredients? Yeah. You know, I think you need to go to the grocery store. Rethink your, rethink your shopping strategy. Well, this year, Gina's bought the ingredients himself. He went to Whole Foods himself, bought that organic shit, no chemicals, no plastics, no cancer. Um, we're eating good this year. And Ben Bryant is the, uh, is, is plumping up because of it. All right. On another note, this is probably the, one of the first times I think people maybe got to watch sauce Gardner play. I'm completely tangenting here. Uh, I was really hoping Jamar Chase, you know, Bengals, you know, if you're going to get up and get burned one time, you know, all right, at least have it be a bangle. Man, is he good. It's Charles Gardner. Oh, yeah. He is. He's special. I mean, we knew that, but like you, to see it translate to against, like, in my mind, Jamar Chase is, is a top five receiver in the league. And to see him. It, all in a sense, in front and first, shut him down. But um, hats off to the Jets for not not just like having sauce shadow Jamar Chase. Um, I thought that was incredibly brave of them. <laughs> <laughs> I, look, I think the Jets reason to be excited with Sauce Gardner, reason to be excited with Garrett Wilson. Otherwise, it's still uh, there's some there's some concerns I would have in terms of who's running the team. Not much reason to believe in Sala based on what I've seen. Not like I'm studying the team week in, week out, but and enough to say, like, why, why are they still spinning their wheels uh, and going nowhere and going nowhere fast? Maybe, you know, maybe it helps to get rid of Flacco and to have a, a more explosive young quarterback on the field with Zach Wilson, TBD. But no, I think as a Bearcat fan, I'm incredibly excited that Sauce Gardner came into the league with all of this self-imposed hype and he does not back away from celebrating himself, branding himself, um, hyping up his skills and abilities. And it fits with what he delivers on the field. He's a rookie cornerback, which defensively to me is like the equivalent of a rookie quarterback. There is a steep, steep learning curve where you are going up week in week out against the position in the NFL that is now one of the deepest wide receivers. There's just athletic, strong, big, fast dudes at on practically every team. So if it wasn't Jamar Chase this week and T Higgins this week, it was Amari Cooper last week. And when the Jets, who are the Jets playing next week, Hummer? Do you know? Top of your Miami, head? I believe, well, the next home game is Miami. I don't know. We play Miami, so I don't know. That's the Bengals. That's the Bengals. Let me – I want to look that up because if you just look I'm actually, at the schedule – I'm like, looking at the video of, of Chase and, and Gardner actually chit-chatting after the game. And, uh, you know, they're all kind of – you know, they're smiling back. It says the next home game is, is the Jets versus the Dolphins. I'm like, yeah, it must be at least two weeks away. So you've got – yeah, you've got the Jets again at the Steelers next week. And now that's facing Trubisky, which isn't going to scare you. But if you look at their wide receivers – Deontay Johnson, Claypool. Then it goes on to the Dolphins with, 
with Tyreek Hill and, and Jalen Waddle. Then it goes on to the Packers with um, a cupboard. Uh, but what I'm saying is that generally speaking, he's going to get tested more weeks than not. Um, he does have a couple clashes with the Bills eventually. I can't wait to see him try and defend Stephon Diggs. It's really good for the Bearcats program, for the Bearcats brand, to be able to point to Travis Kelsey, to be able to point to Sauce Gardner, uh, Jason Kelsey. The more elite athletes we have in the NFL thriving in their positions, the better. And so Sauce appearing to just you know be, be able to live up to every ounce of his hype is really, really, really reassuring. Well, I mean, that's 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 the that's kind of the the gig here for us, right? That's where our upside truly lies. Like last year, Luke Fickle, our Lord and Savior, Luke Fickle, deciding to pass up opportunities, you know, like Norman, Oklahoma, uh, not even, you know, think he's holding about, out for that. Well, he, to be fair, he was holding out for the Nebraska job. Holding out for Nebraska. <laughs> One of the takes. Scott Shut Frost up, is- Nebraska. Stop putting Luke Fickle's name in your mouth. <laughs> yeah. One, one of the replace. Cup. Either way, by him staying and with us, like the momentum of having these guys in the NFL, having these guys being the, you know, some of the elite in their positions. Um, it just, it's, it just helps us keep building the brand. I like how they said it today or watching the game earlier. And, you know, ESPN points out, they're like, you know, we need to stop referring to Cincinnati as a group of five program. They have, or uh, yeah, group of five, right? They have power five talent. This is a power five or power five squad, right? And even though we're moving to the Big 12 next year, like this year, like this needs to be recognized. And it's true. Like, I, I don't want to, I can't go out there and say like this team is better than last year's team. But I can say this team, in my opinion, is pretty damn close. I think this team is really good. I think this team is underrated through ESPN and the coaches poll. I do not think we're going to lose another game this season. And I think we're going to be putting the beat down on a lot of teams. Like I, I think this team, if anything, you know, yeah, you had, we did have sauce Gardner, but defense almost seems to be a little more well-rounded in a sense that, yeah, you don't have one super stud in sauce Gardner, but you have, and then we do have a super stud now. Ivan Pace Jr. is turning out to be an absolute stud, as you called him, the menace. An a absolute menace. menace. Like, a menace! I like this defense. I think it's really good. I think it would go toe-to-toe with last year in terms of results in the teams that we played. Like, I'm, I'm not afraid to, to take this squad up and say, hey, let's go play anybody. I don't think that's true. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't go that far. I do wish that we could put Ivan Pace on last year's team. Um, but I think that when you have transcendent cornerbacks on your team, two of them, uh, one, one transcendent quarterback, another Thorpe winner. <laughs> so you've got just two shutdown guys basically on the edge. I think that's really difficult to replicate and, and capitalize without that same talent on the edge. But I do think that it's silly and, and kind of comical to look at when we get compared to other G5 programs this year, because it, it, at this point, it's a technicality. The technicality is that we have one season left as a G5 program. And when you look at our talent and you look at our roster construct and our coaching and our development, this ain't no G5 program. Like this is something different. We belong to be compared with all of the best teams and programs in the country. That is our measuring stick now. 
And when you're saying, like, how are we going to finish in the final rankings? Can we still make that New Year's Day game? And they're saying, well, our biggest rivals are Coastal Carolina. Um, and, you know, they're not G5, but BYU could, you know, be a wrinkle. Like, it, it ain't close. Look at our rosters. Look at our look at look at how deep our defense is. And, and when you lose all this talent to the NFL and you see, you know, damn near double digit draft picks in the NFL draft, we're replenishing to the point of being a top 25 team preseason going on the road to a top 20 at last as of last week, top 10 program, top 10 team in Arkansas. And honestly, we walked out of there and I thought we should have won the game. Like that's how I, that's how I experienced this road game against an SEC opponent. Um, we were simply replenishing at this point. And so comparing ourselves to these other schlubs, it just looks silly. And I'm, I'm glad it only has to last one more year and that it, and that next year we get to week in week out, be much, have much more of a consistent regular schedule where we, we can really prove ourselves and, and have less skepticism amongst AP voters and coaching coaches, poll voters. Wow. Do I mean, should we, I miss, should we, should we make mention of the fact that we were preseason top 25 and lose a nail biter to Arkansas on the road. And then since then have absolutely maimed our three opponents and we're still not back in the top 25. That's why the big 12 is so necessary. That's why it's such a big development for us because we, you just get no damn respect when you're in the current situation we're in. I, I think you're right with that. We're not getting, we're not getting any respect. I think a lot of, it sucks. A lot of this is based off of top, you know, AP top 25 coaches polls. First off your coach, right? Nick Saban. He's not watching Cincinnati games. He's not watching BYU games. He's not watching Minnesota games. He's watching whoever the probably is on whoever the hell's on his schedule. And chances are he's actually paying people to do that for him. On the flip side, we know for a fact you can listen to these guys. They talk about it. AP guys, they don't watch every game either. So I doubt this was a game that they're tuning into. Maybe this one, maybe, maybe Cincinnati versus Indiana, but they weren't tuning into Cincinnati versus Miami. They weren't tuning into, you know, Kennesaw State, which, you know, I, I, I don't blame them. Yeah, it's and so the only thing they had to see and go off of is that first game against Arkansas, where we did not play our best game. Right, we barely we did. You're right, we did squeak out barely with with a, a nail biting of a loss. Should have been a victory, but at times we looked we looked undisciplined. We we had Ben Bryant looking. We looked overwhelmed offensively in the first we half, and that's kind of the problem is that you're. You're a you're a three thirty Eastern time game against Arkansas, and folks might be turning it tuning in for the first time that in the first half, and so judgments are being made for the uh, you know looking at those first thirty minutes, and the judgment if you just watch Ben Bryant against Arkansas would be, yikes, they're going to miss Des Ritter a lot, and that's and that's my point. Where I was long way long way of saying is. Our first impression that the the media and everybody's gotten a hold of is us playing Arkansas. That's what they're going off of. Maybe today helped change some minds because we got you know a couple more votes votes this week. You know we should crack into the top twenty five next week. Um, by the end of the year, I actually don't have any kind of doubt in my mind that we're going to be probably fourteen, fifteen. We might we might be able to get up as high as thirteen. Yeah, I think, ESPN, I think, I think top 15 to... is sort of a stretch goal because when you look at what's happening in the American athletic right now, we're, we, we're not going to have a lot of opportunities to, to show our worth. 
I was really hoping Rice was going to upset Houston for the first time in seven years. Uh, <laughs> I put a little money on it, you know. I put a little money on the in the fourth quarter when when the game was tied. I was like, come on, man. Rice at plus 350. Let's go. Just a, friend, uh, a friendly reminder, folks, what the Bearcats did last season in 2021 under Fickle and, and Ritter is extremely difficult to pull off. This was the most hyped preseason hype a Cincinnati Bearcats football team ever received. We were unanimously calling this the most talented team in the history of our football program. And the expectation was to make a run at the college football playoff. The expectation was go undefeated and they fucking did it. And that is not something you can take lightly. That is not something that is easy, easily replicable. And when you look at Houston and you look at the Cougars and, and see what's happened to them so far this season, where they're at UTSA with a, you know, winning by the skin of their teeth, 37, 35, then going on to lose at Texas tech, lose home, get fucking spanked by Kansas 48, 30, and then barely surviving against rice. It's just a lesson in expectations are tough to play under when you have real expectations, fans through fans, through coaches, through players, all of them think this is going to be a special year for us. It ain't so easy. And so what you saw from 2021 Cincinnati is not something to ever take lightly. Yeah. But also at the same time, this is the second most talented squad the University of Cincinnati's ever had. And I'm, yeah, I'm going back and saying that this team is still more talented than the Big East champions in the, in the, um, the Sugar Bowl squad. And I say that off the basis of this is a team that is not, wasn't one and done. There's still expectations and they're able to reload and retool the guys that they brought up to replace, you know, obviously like you say, you say this, we're going to hit this point home. Like, yeah, we're not replacing sauce Gardner. Like we're not going to replace him with the next generational, you know, corner. Like that's not going to happen. But I think overall the talent, was is is raised to a level that if you look on on the aggregate this the defense this team is in my opinion very capable of winning against any team that you put out in front of them this year so when we get to the dallas when we end up back in the cotton bowl this year the only difference between this year and last year is we're walking out with a shirt that says cotton bowl champions on it <laughs> like that's that's going to be the only difference between this year and last year is uh chances are we're going to win that game we're not going to be playing against the Alabama or Georgia, unfortunately, but I, I think this team is the second, the second most talented team that Cincinnati's ever had. Yeah. It's just, that's actually a really great way. Great point to bring up that, you know, this was an unprecedented roster last year that we had and that here we go, here we are flashing forward to 2022 and it's still easily one of the most talented and deep and, uh, better rosters we've ever seen at the University of Cincinnati. So that that's all a credit to Fickle, his staff, his recruiting, his his pipelining, because there there's guys we don't even know how great they are yet. Like we're just seeing we're this is tip of the iceberg shit with some of these guys. We got a perfect we got a perfect example. And I know we we've, we've gone back and forth on this and I think we know we know where we stand, right? With the with Ben Bryant, Evan Prater he's going to have two years left. He's, he's not transferring the, 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 the is his next year. Right. So he's not going to transfer. I don't know. 
what this extra year of the do for him. And all of a sudden we get two great years. Holy hell. I'm proud of I us. Expecta- expectation like, for next year is going to be insane. That's like 40 minutes into a podcast and we hadn't mentioned Without bringing it up. Good, good on us, buddy. <laughs> hey, virtual high five. Virtual high five for the two of us. Well, you can't, you can't, you can't talk about this team without it with, with ignoring the fact that that's your quarterback for here. Like you have a guy that everybody's dying to see and he's going to be your quarterback next year. Like we, we have talent lined up for next year. We're way, no one yeah. here is sitting thinking this team's bad and no one's thinking next year is going to be bad. And, and I'm having that's what you get I'm, when you just don't leave. It, it, what's happening to me as well is like, I'm having to completely reframe all of my thoughts on the matter because I remember thinking, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of the, if, if Prater couldn't beat out Bryant, then what the hell does that say about Prater? It's, it's turning more and more into a situation where Bryant has a skill set, experience level and reliability factor that the coaches liked his deep arm talent makes sense with Scott and Tucker. And it just so happens that for this roster in this specific season, he made more sense. It seems less and less likely that Prater is a quote unquote problem or Prater doesn't necessarily have it. Um, I hope you're right. And that with two years left, he's the guy next year, bring him in with those, you know, the, the explosive runs and honestly arm an arm that I shouldn't write off based on the few flashes I've seen, especially against Kennesaw. And I know it's Kennesaw. You cannot grade against opponents like that, but there there's there's reason to be hopeful for the now and the future for the Cincinnati Bearcats. Now on to the important questions. This is a tangent. If you guys want to, if you want to check out now, go for it. But this is the fight that all of America should be discussing. Coomer. When I say pint of ice cream, like what's your go-to move? Like, do you, do you eat the whole thing? Do you do you parse some out into a bowl? Do you do you, then, you know and save it, put it back in the freezer? Like, what's what's your go-to move on the on a pint of Grater's ice cream? I think it's an important topic. I'm I'm glad we're discussing it, and I also think that it's crucial that after this conversation, we do go to the polls. We we got to create a poll online and get a lot of feedback, a lot of engagement because up until about ten years ago. I thought I was completely normal when it came to pints of ice cream. I thought what I did was the expectation. I thought that's why they sold them like that. And <laughs> I spent a majority of my life going to the ice cream shop with my dad or mom, but I'd pick out a pint, you know, graders, UDF, wherever I, I pick out my flavor. My sisters pick out their flavor. My dad picks out his flavor. We go home, we flip on the telly. And, you know, we start watching uh, an episode of John from Cincinnati and we eat our pints, grab a spoon, sit on the couch, eat your pints. That's what we did. Straight straight from the container, straight from the container. No unloading, no, no sharing. Fuck sharing. You know, like you got your flavor. I got my flavor. This is what we're doing. Then what happens is my my wife, uh, Eva from Australia moves in uh temporarily with my, my with my dad and I and you know she's a former ballet dancer she's a woman of class and and highfalutin things she's got uh immaculate taste when it comes to 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 food great taste buds someone who who loves a fancy meal and one night we go out to dinner it's her it's me my dad and my sister 
afterward, we're all, you know, had a couple of drinks and we're saying, you know what, let's pick up a pint of ice cream before we go home and, uh, and have a treat when we get there. We all pick out our pints. Eva was a little bit unsure what was happening, but she said, okay, sure. I'll, I'll pick my pint. We go home and we get into the kitchen. My son, me, Rachel, my dad, the three of us grab our spoons. We walk into the living room with our pints and start eating it. Eva remained in the kitchen, confused as shit what was going on, had pulled out a bowl and started scooping her ice cream into the bowl, came in and said, uh, am I not going to get to try yours as well? Are you not going to put it in a bowl? What's happening here? And that's when I realized we were the freaks for sitting down on the couch and just eating pints like it's no big deal. What? That's extremely long winded. I, I couldn't believe you brought this up to me last night because honestly, it's one of those moments with with my now wife that I look back on horrified thinking like, oh, you realized right then and there that you you're marrying a freak show that has no discipline and uh, probably will die early because of his addiction to ice cream. I only brought it up because last night we go we go to watch the college uh, college football at this local eatery called pig beach in brooklyn and it's basically this outdoor uh has a huge outdoor kind of beer garden vibe to it barbecue food tvs galore it's like a really good venue and it's a beautiful day in new york uh but naturally you know we're imbibing we've been drinking we ate an early dinner probably right around the start of the game so now like we're walking back it's like eight o'clock and we're going to the grocery store and I purposely am taking Julia this like long, weird way through the grocery store with the ultimate goal of ending in the freezer aisle to grab pints of ice cream. And when we, she, we get there and she goes, oh, no, no, like, you know, like, we're supposed to like not be eating ice cream. Like, babe, I'm not cooking dinner. Let's just eat ice cream for dinner. Like, this is our dinner. <laughs> and I see that they have a sale on Ben and Jerry's three for $12. Like, this is a great deal in New York. Let's do this. Great deal. Fantastic deal. And so... It kind of like the same thing when you get back and she goes, like, I, I take the spoon out. She's like, you're going to eat the whole thing. I'm like, it's a dinner, babe. Like that's a thousand calories. That's like a solid dinner. Right. And she's like, oh, I'm going to save some of mine. I'm like, all right, no, this isn't, this isn't how we play this game. Come on. You can't just switch it up on me. And I was like, am I feeling bad for eating and smashing the whole, the whole pint? And I was like, Cooper's going to have a good, good opinion on this. <laughs> I mean, you were, you were counting yours as dinner. You have to eat the whole pint at that point. I, to me, you have a legitimate excuse. I'm eating the whole pint after eating dinner. You know, like well, I've already, I've probably already eaten 1500 calories and I'm like, yeah, let's do another thousand. Why not? Straight milk. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite part of your response though is, so this is, this is, this is what, this is what he texts me. Uh, I, I literally text him like, you know, you buy a pint of ice cream from the grocery dot, dot, dot. He just goes, Oh boy. That's Coomer's response. And I'm like, do you eat half of it or put it in the freezer or eat the whole thing? And he, he sends the little laughing emoji. He goes, I smashed the whole fucking thing. Even nurses it for a week unless I eat it. And I'm like, my man, we are kindred spirits because my wife will then do that. She will eat half of it, put it back in the freezer and be surprised the next day when she comes back and it's gone after I've been working from home all day. I'm like, yeah, well, I smashed it during lunch. Eva got upset at me one time for sending a picture of a pint of ice cream she bought to my family because this pint of ice cream was, I think, s'mores from Graders, free advertising, go Graders. She buys this pint, and the first night, she, I, what I see from the pint is she had taken two bites. You could see the indent of two spoons 
go into the ice cream. And that's all she had. She had two bites of ice cream. She puts it back in the freezer. Once there's ice cream in the freezer, I can't stop looking at my freezer every single time I walk in my kitchen. Like if I know there's ice cream in there, I get my heart starts beating fast every time I walk in the kitchen because I know it's in the freezer. And that means I have to open the freezer. And that usually means I have to take the pint out and eat the at least take one bite of the ice cream every single time I'm in there. But this is her ice cream. And I'm trying to be a more respectful, better husband. <laughs> one bite. Um, <laughs> yeah, one bite. And so I look, you know, I opened her ice cream, looked at it and thought like, wow, it's been two days and she still hasn't taken any more bites. Like what's happening? Does she want it? Does she know it's in here? Does she and, not like it? it does she, I know. I know she likes <laughs> it. I know s'mores is her favorite flavor. I can't believe this. Why isn't she eating it? And so I sent a picture of it to my family. It was like, hey, like, look, Eva, Eva bought this ice cream, had two bites of it the first day. And, and here we are three days later. She still hasn't touched it. Like, look how look how unbelievably disciplined she is in comparison to the freak show that we are like. We have no discipline. And I said, I'm basically having a panic attack every time I walk in the kitchen because I know there's ice cream in my freezer. All this is to say I never have ice cream in my freezer. Because if I buy ice cream, it's usually a pint and I eat the fucking pint right when I get it. Boom. Love it. <laughs> Good talk, buddy. This was honest and revelatory. And, and honestly, if you've got takes on pints of ice cream, you should share them with us because uh, it's a weakness of mine. It's probably the reason that I've never, never been able to get my weight entirely in check. And uh, I'm ashamed that this is going out there onto the interwebs. Thanks, everybody. That's her TED oh. talk. Go Bearcats. <laughs> Cheers, bud. <laughs>